If you have a Bible with you this morning or you can open that Bible app, but I want to invite you to join me in the book of Ecclesiastes. This morning we're specifically going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now today we're going to talk about something that we all have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with, and that is time. Do you find that to be true, that you have a love-hate relationship with time? On one hand, time is something that is important to schedule out our days and to know when we need to be at certain places and how much longer we get to be at that place. And that can be fun and exciting when you're looking forward to a vacation or hanging out with some friends or just celebrating something big. But on the other hand, time just seems to have some downsides as well. You look forward to spending time on vacation, but then the vacation comes and You get to the end of it all and you have to go back to life in the real world. Or you're just sitting there and you're waiting for an email or a phone call or a text message to come in. And it doesn't come and it doesn't come and it doesn't come and time just seems to be going by so slow. Well, as you know, today is daylight savings time and I'm thankful for the extra hour of sleep that I got last night. But I wonder how many of you uh, think, uh, like me, that this year has just been flying by. Earlier this week, I was thinking to myself, you know, it's already the month of November, and in two and a half weeks, it's going to be Thanksgiving, and then it's Christmas, and then it's New Year's, and where does all the time go? And just by saying that makes me feel old, because I remember hearing my parents say those exact same things when I was growing up. The fact is that we are all products of time. The clock starts ticking the moment that we are born, and the rest of our lives, we are just making adjustments according to time, which is reflecting, uh, reflected in a, a number of, uh, the m- number of time pieces that each one of us has personally. I have a number of clocks and watches that I own. There's a digital, there are digital clocks in the cars that I have. There are, there's a, a clock on my cell phone. There's a clock on the computer. There is a uh, clock on this watch, this rich, wrist watch that I have and that I'm wearing here today. We have 13 clocks in our house. We have 11 clocks here at the church. And I, I know this because last night I moved them back one hour and my family was really confused about what time it was, was uh, in, in the evening. And that's the thing about time, isn't it? Not only does time tend to measure our lives, but it tends to control our lives as well. On one hand, time is something that is logical, it makes sense, it's a linear kind of thing. But on the other hand, time is a mysterious kind of thing. Time is logical and it's consistent in that it is, there are 60 minutes that equal one hour, 24 hours always equal one day. There are seven days in one week. There are 30 or 31 days in a month and 365 days equal a year. And this is the thing about time. It's the the thing that makes time the great equalizer because we all have the same number of seconds in a minute, the same number of minutes in an hour, the same number of hours in a day. And whether you are still running and gunning at work or if you're retired and working out in the lawn all day long, we all have exactly the same amount of time. And even though time is constant and even though uh, it's very logical, 
Not all of us experience time exactly the same way. Would you all agree that an hour spent in the classroom is not the same as an hour in a nice restaurant? Or an hour spent in a doctor's office is not the same as an hour that is spent out on a date with the one that you love. An hour laying on the, cl- on the couch with uh, back pain is not the same as an hour at your favorite spa. There are times when time just seems to drag on and there are other times when it seems to just fly by. And it's the, that mysterious aspect of time that the preacher of Ecclesiastes contemplates as we come here to chapter 3. This is one of the most familiar passages in the Bible. It's known not only by the people of God, but it's also known by many other people throughout the Western world. In fact, there is a song that some of you might be familiar with from the 1960s called Turn, Turn, Turn. It was written by the birds, sung by the birds. The, the, the lyrics from that song come from this passage that we're going to be studying and looking at this morning. In the opening verse of this chapter, we read this kind of summary statement, and you can look at it there with your Bible open in front of you. It says this, For everything there is a to- there is." A what? Well, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And then what follows in the next seven verses are some of the most famous lyrics that have ever been written about time. There are 28 statements in 14 pairs. 14 of these statements are uh, words that are worded in the negative and 14 are worded in the positive And all of them, every single one of them, involve the use of that word, time. And so I want us to look at what the preacher has to say here. Again, beginning in verse 1, we'll read down through verse 15. And here is what God's word says. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there was there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken, away, taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, 
and that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. I want to just focus in here, make a couple of broad statements on Uh, uh, from this passage here that's before us so that we can kind of consider and just um, uh, reflect on what what the preacher says here. The first thing is that that, uh, I want us to just notice and be reminded of here is this, that God is sovereign and that God is the Lord over time. We all know that time is something that guides our lives, but time doesn't mean a whole lot to God. After all, he's eternal. He always has been and always will be. We measure our lives by time, but God certainly doesn't. In fact, the last part of this passage is just as important as this poetic part because the preacher reminds us that time is a gift from God and that God is the one who is always the Lord over time. In verse 1, we read this phrase, under the sun. That there is a time for every matter under heaven, rather. Under heaven. First of all, that implies that there is a heaven. Secondly, that also implies that since there is a heaven, there is also a God who rules over heaven. That, That there is a time for everything and every matter under heaven. And so the preacher talks about how heaven exists and how God exists. And in fact, later on in verses 9 through 15, he mentions the name God six times, which is his way of reminding himself and those who are reading what he is writing here that everything happens in this world that is dominated by time and that is under the authority and the control of a God who is on his throne, a God who is Lord over time. Nothing happens in this life apart from the knowledge of God, and that's a great reminder for us here this morning. That nothing happens in this life apart from the controlling hand of a sovereign God. Now that doesn't mean that everything about life is predetermined and that nothing that you choose to do actually matters in terms of what happens in your life. No, far from it. Now the idea of time here is not so much about chronological order of time, seconds, minutes, and hours, but it's more about seasons of time. That in everything under heaven, there is a right season, a favorable time for everything that happens. As Christians, we often remind ourselves that God is working for our good and that he is always doing everything that he does in just the right what? In just the right time. And that's not talking about the the right second, but it's talking about the right opportunity, the right window of time. And our challenge in this season of time that we're in is to always keep our eyes on the kingdom, to always keep our focus on eternity, to trust in the Lord no matter what the time is or the season or the circumstances that we face. Now, as many of us who have lived for a while know, the, the circumstances of our lives may vary, they may change, they, we will experience a lot of different things. But this leads me to a second observation that I want to make here from the text this morning, specifically that the world is broken. The preacher reminds us that God is on his throne and that God is sovereign, that he is Lord over time. 
But then he spends most of the time in the opening verses here in chapter 3 reminding us that the world is broken and that our perspectives as we live under heaven, our perspective needs to be balanced and it needs to be biblical. Let, Let me let you in on a little secret here. Not every season in your life is going to be a happy season of life. Some will be happy seasons. You are going to have some real mountaintop experiences, mountaintop seasons of your life. But not every season is going to be a mountaintop season. There are times when you are going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as the psalmist says in that most famous of psalms ever written. And so we need to learn to live under the sovereign hand of God with the practical reality that as we do, we understand that this world that we live in is not heaven. It's a broken place. And our perspective needs to be a balanced perspective about how we view the varying situations of our life to make sure that we are always living biblically. That's what the preacher is trying to do here. He's an older man. He's lived for a long time. He's been able to see times of peace and times of war, ups and downs, uh, great family experiences and rotten family experiences. And, And what he does here is he reflects a very balanced realism about life. He's not being uh, totally pessimistic here, and he's not being totally optimistic here. What he's doing is he's being realistic. This is a realistic view on how we are to look at life. And he comes to the conclusion that life is not all bad, which is important for us to remember as we read through the book of Ecclesiastes. Life is not all bad. But life does include all different kinds of experiences. Some are bad and and really hard to deal with. And, And we have to keep these in the proper balance because sometimes we will experience seasons of good, pleasant things. And then there are other times where we're going to go through seasons that are totally negative and not so pleasant. I'm sure that you would all agree with me that there are times where it seems like the sun is shining brightly. And then there are other times where it just seems like it is cold and rainy all day long. And here's the thing. That's true for people in the world, but that's also true for the people of God. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. But again, no matter what happens in the time that God has given us, The thing that we need to remember is that God is always on his throne, that he is in control of everything that happens in our lives. That's obvious in the first statement here that we read in verse 2, where it says there that there is a time to be born and a time to die. You know, there's no baby who has ever gotten to choose their conception When that was going to happen. You didn't get to choose it. I didn't get to choose it. No one ever does. A few weeks ago, we had some parents standing right up here with their babies in front of this church for a ceremony dedicating parents and and their children to the Lord. And none of those kids had any control over when it was that they were going to be born or where they were going to be born or who their parents were going to be. It was all just a product of ultimately the sovereign grace of God. And on the other end of the spectrum, no person can predict the hour of their death. 
As many of you know, and I want to thank you for your prayers and all of your kind words, but last week, the wife of a good friend of mine passed away, and, and her name was Pauline Rosh, and we have a picture of her here this morning and her family, and uh, this was from a, a basketball tournament that one of their sons had played in a few months ago, but Pauline was young. I mean, 46 years old, that seems pretty young to me. Uh, She was the mom of four teenage boys. And you you don't typically expect to go to a memorial service of a young woman like this, but that's exactly where our family was yesterday in Napanee, Indiana. The date of your birth and the date of your death, they're not selected by you. Instead, the Bible says that they are appointed by the Lord. In fact, this is what the the author of Hebrews would say in chapter 9 and verse 27. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And that's why the conclusion of the preacher is so important, because there's going to be a time when you and I are going to meet the Lord. God knows when that is, but we don't. And that's why it's so important for us to live our lives with purpose. To know why we're here and where we came from and what's going to happen when we die. And we can know the answers to all of those questions by having the right relationship with the Lord. And so the preacher says, knowing that, knowing that you don't control time, that you don't control the time of your birth and you don't control the time of your death, you ought to enjoy life. You ought to live life to the fullest. Play by God's rules Live according to the directions that God gives, but get the most out of your life. Have fun. Do those things that you love to do. The Bible says that there is a time to be born and a time to die. Also, it says in verse 2 that there is a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. And God's involved in all of that. There's a time to go to college There's a time to start work. There's a time when maybe you have to move on from a particular job. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. In fact, this is true of God as well. Who who planted the Garden of Eden? Well, God did, right? And who moved the first people out of the Garden of Eden when they decided to play God and to make up their own rules? God did. There are times when God has given rain and times when God has withheld it so that nothing would grow. In the same way, we read in verse 3 that there is a time to break down and a time to build up. That's also true of God. God led his people to build a temple for the glory of his great name. But then he also moved so that the door would be opened up so that their enemies could come in and tear the thing down to the ground and burn it to ashes. The same God does both of those things. There's a time to break down and a time to build up. Just before that, it says in verse 3 that there's a time to kill and a time to heal. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, um, isn't one of the Ten Commandments say, you shall not kill? Well, it actually says you shall not murder, but I think the idea here is talking about self-defense. It's talking about a capital punishment. And even at the end of this paragraph, it talks about how even though it is regrettable, there is also a time for war. There's a time to stand for what's right, even when others around you, and maybe even if a majority of the people around you oppose you for what you're standing for in this life. There is a time for war. 
at Trenton, at Yorktown, at Lexington and Concord. It was a time for war. At Gettysburg, at Antietam, at Shiloh, there was a time to kill. At Flanders, at Somme, at Midway, there was a time to kill. At Lendengrad and Crete, in the Battle of the Bulge, there was a time to kill. The world is broken, the world is shattered, and ever since the fall of man, the world has been in what seems to be constant time of war, constant time of conflict and hostility and instability. You, you can even look around the country that we live in, and you, you can see that it's as divided as it's ever been, at least in my lifetime. And what we all need to know is that governments cannot heal divisions and politicians cannot heal divisions. Social programs cannot ultimately heal divisions. There are right people in offices and right programs in place and we ought to support those things that are right. But when it comes to healing divisions, it's going to take a whole lot more than a few right people to get the job done. Only Jesus can truly bring the healing that we need. And that's why we shouldn't be discouraged because the last time I checked, the king is still coming. We don't have to be discouraged because while there is a time for war and a time to kill, there is also a time for peace and a time to heal. The Bible tells us that Jesus, he's the Prince of Peace. That he has come to bring peace. Peace between God and man. But, but there is also coming a time when there will be peace on this earth. And every kingdom of this world is going to be placed under his feet, under his authority. And he shall reign forever and ever. And those who are with him will reign with him forever and ever as well. There are better days coming. But until then... We are living in a world that is divided, a world that is at war. And as people of the gospel, we have a responsibility to to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. We have a responsibility as believers to do whatever we can that leads to peace with God, both inside the body of Christ and in our community and in our world as well. And the main way that we do that is by continuing to preach Jesus Christ, to keep preaching the gospel story. Along those lines, the preacher reminds us that there is a time to keep silent and a time to speak. That there is a time when we need to open up our mouths and speak the truth, but there's also a time when we need to keep our lips shut. And God help us to know the difference between the two particularly in a day and age where there's so, so much social media. There's a time to keep silent and a time to speak. You know, the Bible has a lot to say, particularly in the book of Proverbs, about knowing when to hold your tongue. And, and I think especially about all of us who talk a lot, that, that the more you talk, the more likely you will be to sin with your words. And so the Bible teaches us to understand the power of our words, that that words contain the power of life and the power of death, that they have the power to encourage and the power to discourage. They have the power to build up and the power to tear down. And so we need to be careful not to just speak all the time. But having said that, there is also a time to speak. 
And I think that this is certainly uh, true as it relates to the gospel because the power of the gospel is what frees people who are living in bondage, living in darkness. And people need to be told that there is a better way. They need to be told that that the gospel involves liberation and that there is a king who reigns in a kingdom that is not of this world, who is eternal. We often describe the gospel as telling the good news, and there's a, an old song that talks about this. It simply is called, Tell the Good News. Tell the good news, tell the good news, tell the good news to everyone. And what's the good news? Well, Jesus summarizes it in John 10.10 10, in this way. He says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Only in the kingdom of Christ can you find eternal and abundant life that cannot be compared to any other life imaginable in the planet. He says that there is a time to keep silent and a time to speak. And then he says that there is a time to love and a time to hate. You know, that language seems to be a bit strange, doesn't it? Because we don't often equate God with the word hate. But the fact is that there are lots of things that God hates. And, uh, I, I, I mean, we're never supposed to hate people. We're, we're, no matter how mean they might be or how hateful they might be to us, we're never supposed to hate them. But God, God loves all people, and we as Christians are called to be like little mirrors, that we are reflecting His light and His love to everyone and everywhere that we go. But the fact is that there are lots of things that God does hate. We, we shouldn't hate people. But we can hate certain attitudes and we can hate certain actions. Here's the thing. We ought to hate what God hates. And, 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 we say, and you say, well, what is it that God hates? You know, God, God tells us in his word, in the Bible, what it is that, that he hates and what it is that he loves. And that's why we need to read this. That, that's why we need to know what's in the book. What are some of the things that God hates? Well, let me give you some examples here. God hates idolatry, pride, deceit, lying lips, gossip, slander, adultery, abuse, immorality, impurity, coveting what other people have. And if God hates those things, then we're certainly supposed to hate those things as well. We hate the things that God hates. We love the things that he loves because that's what Jesus did. That's the model of Christ. In fact, I think that we can see a lot of our Lord Jesus Christ throughout this very passage. And even though the preacher might not specifically be thinking about Jesus as he writes this, he's still writing about Jesus. You can see this here because our Lord was a Savior who always knew what time it was. And he also understood the time and the seasons in which he lived. The Bible tells us that there was a time for the Savior to be born. Isn't that right? Galatians chapter 4 and verses 4 and 5 say this, "But, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. There was a time for Jesus to be born. But there's also a time for Jesus to die. There was a specific time for Jesus to die. The gospel writers seem to kind of key in on this. For example, the gospel of John, you read this and you you read that Jesus is often saying the the same phrase over and over again. You hear him saying, 
My hour has not yet come. My time is not yet come. My time has not yet come. Jesus says this over and over and over again in, in the Gospel of John uh, until he gets to the point where it's the triumphal entry and he's about to talk about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, riding in on this donkey and all these people, they're waving their palm branches, they're shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And it's at that point that John quotes Jesus as saying, my time has come. My time, my hour has come. It is time for the Father to fulfill my mission. And that was ultimately uh, taking place at the cross of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it this way, Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Think about this. Jesus knew when it was time to heal. You think about his public ministry, all of the instances of people who were being healed all throughout the land of Israel over the course of three years. I mean, the blind were were given sight. The lame could walk again. Lepers were being cleansed. The dead were raised. Jesus also knew, though, that there was a time to tear down. On two separate occasions in the Gospels, Jesus comes into the temple of God and he has this bull whip in his hand and he's kung fu fighting and he takes these money changer tables and he turns them upside down because of sin in the land, because of sin in the house. Jesus knew that there was a time to tear down. At the same time, Jesus knew that there was a time to mourn. The shortest book or the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And he wept out of this heart of grief as he stood in front of the tomb of a good friend of his, Lazarus. Jesus wept. As as he looked over the city of Jerusalem, he cried tears of grief. And so the Bible says that our Lord was a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief, who, who often wept in his ministry. But at the same time, Our Lord knew that there was also a time to laugh, that there was a time to rejoice, as he often did. He he did this with his disciples when they were gathered, uh, when when they all gathered back together after their first preaching mission. And and so he had sent them out in order to go and preach the gospel. The Bible says that they come back and they are just sharing all of these wonderful stories about what the Lord had done. Jesus is right there with them and they rejoicing together about the goodness of God that, that always comes as a result of the faithful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus knew that there was a time to speak and that there was a time to keep silent. You know, I I love Jesus as a preacher because Jesus, he, he talked a lot as a preacher, which seems to give a lot of value to long winded preaching, right? I mean, if I tried to preach the Sermon on the Mount, it, it just right through the whole Sermon on the Mount today, right now this morning, it would take more than 35 or 40 minutes to do that. I, I, I mean, um, some of you who are regulars around here, you'll remember that earlier this year, it took us five months to go through the, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus knew that there was a time to preach, a time to speak. Some of you have red letter editions, Bibles, and, and they highlight the times when Jesus spoke. And if you went through there and you just counted all the times when you would see Jesus talking, you would see that he's constantly talking throughout his ministry because there's no such thing as a gospel without words. 
I know that there's a a famous quote by a guy named St. Francis of Assisi where he says this, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And I understand that he's trying to emphasize the value of actions, but the gospel needs to be preached. Words are necessary in preaching the gospel. Good news has to be told. We're not just to walk around kind of playing these spiritual charades with people, just hoping that they notice the good life that we're living and then uh, figure it out on their own. Yes, we need to live a, a life that is a good example. But more than that, we need to tell people why it is that we're trying to live out that good example. We need to use words. In fact, the Bible says that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Jesus knew that there was a time to speak, but he also knew that there was a time to keep silent. In the most critical time during his life and ministry, the Bible says that Jesus, like a lamb that was being led towards the slaughter, kept silent. He, he opened not his mouth, but instead he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus knew that there was a time to speak and a time to keep silent. He knew that there was a time to love. And for him, that was like all the time. That was his mission. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to the lost sheep of Israel. He came like a doctor coming not to serve the healthy and those who were doing well, but came as a doctor who is coming to heal and to serve the sick. And so Jesus lived a life as a demonstration of love to the outcast and the destitute and the prostitute and everyone in society that that was rejected. Our Lord showed compassion to people that a majority of the people wouldn't even speak to, wouldn't even acknowledge on the street corner, wouldn't reach out to, wouldn't help, wouldn't touch. Jesus knew there was a time to love, which was all the time. But he also knew that there was a time to hate. And he was quite direct with his anger against, not, again, not against people, but toward the pride and the arrogance and the self-righteousness of those who claim to speak on behalf of God. Oh, there's no question that Jesus loved those men, but he hated the evil that had captivated their hearts. He hated the corruption that had infected them. He hated the spirit of rebellion that was leading them as a nation further and further and further away from God. Friends, make no mistake about it. Jesus is all over this passage of scripture. You see, you see it in his life. You see it in his ministry. You see it in his death. Our Lord was fully aware of the time. And you and I need to be as well. There, there was a time for you to be born and there will be a time for you to die. And my question to everyone within the sound of my voice today is this. Are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready? You, you might look at me this morning and say, well, you know what? I've got a lot of time. I don't really need to worry about that. But I wonder, how do you know that? You might think that you have decades left, but that might not be true. You don't know. And that's the case if you are 85 or 55 or 25 or 15. None of us knows how much time we have here on this earth. None of us knows the exact hour or the day of our death. Jim Elliott said this in one of his journals. He said, 
Make sure that when it comes time to die, that all you have to do is to die. Make sure that when it comes time to die, that all you have to do is to die. There is coming a time for all of us, and the question is, as, as we live, uh, live it up here in this land of freedom, are we ready for that which is most eternal? We live in between the comings of Christ. The Bible calls it the last days. And in between the first coming and the second coming of Christ, we are supposed to be citizens of two kingdoms at the same time. The kingdom of this world, of a nation. But most importantly, God created us to be citizens of a divine and eternal kingdom. And in between this time of the first coming and the second coming of Christ, the Bible makes it very clear that when it comes to the times, we are to redeem them. We are to uh, use them to glorify God. In fact, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Make the best use of the time, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. We're called to make good choices, to know the word. And most importantly, we are to know the one who is the truth, the one who died to set us free. God help us to do that, that our lives might be blessed, that our nation might flourish, but most importantly, that our God and King might be praised by how wise and thoughtful and intentional we use the precious gift of time that he has given us. More than anything else, may we live in the times looking, speaking, and acting like Jesus Christ, our great King, who we long to glorify. Let's pray.